We're turning to James chapter 2. And we'll read together from verse 20 to verse 26 and then a verse from chapter 4 and verse 4. So James chapter 2 verse 20. Let's hear the word of God. But wilt thou know, O man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God. And it was imputed unto him (coughs) for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. (coughs) When she had received the messengers. And had sent them out another way. For as the body... Without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And then turn over just two chapters to chapter 4. And there's a great contrast here. Chapter 4 and verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Chapter 2 verse 23 tells us that Abraham was called the friend of God. And then chapter 4 verse 4 tells us that whoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now keep your Bibles open at those two scriptures and we know that God will bless again this the public reading of his own holy word. Let's unite for prayer, please, as we come to God's word tonight. And let us pray that the message of the Lord might be blessed by the Spirit of God tonight to hearts and to lives. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we return thee thanks tonight for the message, the message to look and live. And we pray that those who are smitten and bitten by sin tonight that they might look to the crucified one and that they might find life for a look at the Saviour. Bless us tonight, we ask of thee. We thank thee for the ministry of our brother Sam. We thank thee for the years that you've spared him. And we thank thee for the joy of the Lord that still is his portion. And we pray that you'll bless this new CD and may it be a comfort and an encouragement to countless hearts and lives and a means of extending the borders of the the kingdom of God's grace in many hearts and lives. Now as we gather around the word of God tonight, grant unto us the help of the Holy Ghost and bless that word (coughs) through the frail means of preaching to the glory of Christ and the saving of souls and the encouragement of the Lord's people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Friendship especially young people, we can say is an important part of life. I wouldn't want to 
<coughs> underestimated. The old proverb, I was thinking of it in the past week, that you are known by the company that you keep. My mother used to tell that to me many, many times. Ian, you're known by the company that you keep. And your company reveals as much about who you are as it does about those that you're keeping company with. And I was greatly struck by that in the past few weeks as I was reading through these verses in the book of James. James chapter 2 verse 23. Abraham was called the friend of God. James chapter 4 and verse 4. The great contrast is given here that whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. It couldn't be starker. It couldn't be plainer. It couldn't be clearer. In this closing section of chapter 2, the apostle argues that saving faith is always a faith that works. Sometimes we don't get that. True saving faith, it's more than an intellectual grasp of the creed. It's more than being able to memorize the catechism. It's more than understanding historical facts. It's more than an outburst of mere emotions. If you think you can profess the doctrine of Christ without living Christ, well, this is the evidence to prove otherwise. And the evidence produced was the illustration of Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness, and he was known as the friend of God. Those who have not the faith of Abraham and cannot claim to be the friend of God, they fall into the category of James chapter 4 and verse 4, where the same apostle speaks that whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now there's no individual would ever put those two verses together in one letter. You would never talk about somebody being the friend of God and the friend of the world is the enemy of God. The Bible reminds us in stark terse terms tonight that you can't be a friend of God, a professed friend of God and a friend of the world at one and the same time. And, and I, I know there are ones and they could never comprehend that. These two friendships are incompatible. There are many people today and they're in the professing church. And they believe that they can be a friend of God and a friend of the world at one and the same time. Simultaneously. You can live in the world all week. You can be a friend with the world all week. And the world can have your heart and can have your soul and then be a friend of God on the Sabbath day. Well let me tell you the Bible says it's an impossibility. The friend of sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ he comes to our service tonight. And he wants your friendship but he wants it in its totality. He will not share the throne of your heart with anybody else. I would like to stop with you tonight and just very simply examine the contrast between these two friendships. The friend of uh, God, the friend of the world. And as we look at it, may the Lord show you who is your friend tonight. And may the Lord lead you to come to know and trust and love the friend of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you know him not as your own and personal master. Consider with me first of all then, this uh, subject, this friendship, we'll look at it from the divine perspective. 
We'll look at it how God looks at it. When the Bible speaks of Abraham as being the friend of God, we're witnessing something amazing here. We're witnessing the amazing, condescending grace of God. It's all the more amazing because we know that God didn't need the friendship of Abraham or anybody else. In our Bible class this morning, we were considering how God is complete in himself. He doesn't need anybody else to make him complete. You and I need friends to make us complete. There are some people, they think they can get through the journey on their own, but you can't. You need friends. I remember a, a man many years ago, charismatic man, coming and telling me that he didn't need any friends. He was just like Pilgrim on the road to heaven on his own. But I said to him, Pilgrim didn't go to heaven on his own. Pilgrim had faithful and hopeful on the journey to heaven. We do need friends. Christians need friends. But God was complete in himself. He is all sufficient. And within the persons of the triune Godhead, there was eternal friendship. There was eternal fraternity. And there was fellowship and there was friendship. He didn't need to make Abraham his friend for him to be complete. In second. Chronicles chapter 20 verse 7 we read art not thou our God many centuries afterwards who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever. It was still being recounted this friendship thousands of years later. The condescension of God to sinners is just as amazing as it was to Abraham. And that God would condescend to lowly, hell-deserving sinners such as you and I. And how wonderful is the grace that God would visit us in mercy. Abraham could only have been the friend of God because God chose to make him his friend. Be careful of the friends that you choose. And God chose Abraham. And what was Abraham doing? He was an idolater. He was worshipping idols. In the land of the earth of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia. And God called him from being an idolater. And God called him unto himself. And God said, Abraham, you're going to be my friend. I was thinking of those words of Gatsby's hymn. Oh, what matchless condescension the eternal God displays. Claiming our supreme attention to his boundless works and ways. In the person of the Saviour, all his majesty is seen. Love and justice shine forever and without a veil between. Oh, we rejoice tonight in the amazing, matchless condescension of the eternal God in reaching us, in reaching out to us when we were in idolatry and in our sin. And this is the mysterious work of God the Holy Spirit. We've been majoring in this a lot over the last few weeks. The Holy Ghost in regeneration, he comes and he lays hold upon the heart and the mind and the soul of an individual just like Abraham in Mesopotamia. And he calls him from the air of the Chaldees and he calls him to follow him whithersoever he would lead him. And he changes him. And the tie of friendship would have been too strong for Abraham to have broken by himself. But God broke it. God broke it. And God enabled him to follow him. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit alone 
who translates us from the kingdom of Satan and brings us into the kingdom of his own dear son. Now tell me tonight, do you know such grace in your life? Has God the Spirit that visited you, regenerated you, made you anew, brought you to the place of friendship with himself? During the summertime, I was reading the life story of Adoniram Judson, the first Baptist missionary to Asia from America. In fact, the first missionary, he started off as a congregationalist, and by the time he got to India and he met with the great Kerry, he had, he had uh, imbibed uh, baptistic convictions concerning a uh, Baptist. It's an amazing story in and of itself. But the story of his conversion is wonderful. How, as a young man, he ran away from his home. His home was a Christian home. His dad was a Christian pastor and preached the gospel. But he was influenced at school by a young, ungodly man. And that young, ungodly man uh, followed deism. And little did uh, Judson know that when he ran away from home <coughs> himself and left home and rejected his father's upbringing, that he was brought to a lodging place. Uh, and <clears throat> the landlord said, I hope you don't mind, but the only room I have is beside a dying young man. And he said, well, if that's the only place you have, I'll have to take it. And throughout the night, he heard the groans of this young man and those that were attending him. And then it went silent. Next morning, he asked the landlord about the young man. He said he'd passed away during the night. And who was that young man? Judson was flabbergasted to find out the next morning it was the same young man who had colleged, who had influenced him into deism. And God laid hold of him. He ran away from his father's home and he ran away from the things of God. But God laid hold of him and God changed him and God regenerated him and brought him back humbled and a changed young man to his father and to his mother. That's regeneration. It's God laying hold upon us, changing us. The story of how his young uh, fiance was converted is equally amazing. She was a very well-to-do young lady. And, and the Bible goes, she loved the dances. And she loved the house, the big house dances that were very popular at that time in New England. And God started to work in her heart and God started to work in her life. And God changed her and took away her love for those places and gave to her a desire after eternity in the things of God. And God met her and wonderfully wrought the change of grace in her life. And what happened? Not only did God change her, but bring her and Judson together. And as young people, they went out on their honeymoon as missionaries. And she never came back. She died on the field. Make sure what you profess is a true change of heart, a true change that God works in your heart and God works in your life. As we look at this a friendship viewed from the divine perspective, we see how God was the creator of this friendship. 
True friends visit each other. Well, if true friends visit each other, we, we discover that the Lord often visited Abraham. Well, look up all the references. You can go to Genesis chapter 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 18, where God visited Abraham. I wonder, can you say, when was the last time God visited with me? When I felt his presence. When I knew his, his, his divine omniscience in my life, his power in my life, I knew he had come to visit me. During such visits, secrets are shared. It's good to have a friend to share a secret with, a burden with, a, a, a battle with, and, and friends are made for that. That's how God has devised it and, and designed it. And remember how the Lord Jesus in that uh, pre-incarnation theophany he appeared to Abraham in his home in Genesis 18 and the two angels they were going to go on towards Sodom and Gomorrah but the Lord said he would reveal to Abraham what he was going to do in Sodom and Gomorrah because he knew that Abraham would teach his children and bring up his home in the fear of the Lord. Oh it's a wonderful thing when we open the Bible and when God speaks to us out of his word and reveals the secrets of his truth to our hearts and lives. The wisest of the wise in the world can't see the simplicities, the simplicities of the gospel of Christ because they haven't been revealed to him. Jehovah was a friend with him because he entered into covenant with him. What a solemn covenant he made with Abraham. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 17 to 18. And what a solemn transaction. Remember how the covenant was made when he was justified uh, and the animal was sacrificed and the parts of the sacrifice were put on either side as the Jews did when they made a covenant one with the other and then the covenanting parties walked between the, the, the slain pieces of the animal. God was entering into covenant with Abraham and he's entered into covenant with his own people not on the blood of animals but on the blood of his own dear son. That's the covenant that God seals with his own dear people. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, 24 about Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Jesus, he's the mediator of the covenant, and the blood sprinkled on the soul is the assurance of his friendship. Now let me apply it as best I can tonight. If that blood of Christ has not been sprinkled by faith upon your heart and upon your life tonight. He desires to be your friend, but you're still in James 4 and 4. You're still a friend of the world. Not only did Abraham as a result know God's blessing I poured upon him, but you know what encouraged me thinking about this? God poured out his blessing upon the seed of Abraham. And you and I are the spiritual seed of Abraham. And God is still blessing the spiritual seed of Abraham all over the world. When God saves someone in the family, let me encourage all of you, he has a plan for others in the family. He has a plan for others. And I, I love to see, to go to places like Nepal. You go into congregations in Nepal, you're looking out at a generation of new Christians. Granny and Granda weren't Christians. Mum and dad were not Christians. There were no auntie and uncles Christians. Just this people in front of you and they've just come to the Lord and there's no background behind it. God just called them. He chose them. He brought them as he did Abraham from idolatry unto himself. And now you see their children coming to Sunday school. 
and trusting Christ and coming to the Savior and the blessing of the seed is being bestowed upon them. Oh, we marvel at this friendship that God had with Abraham. It's one of the most unique in all of the word of God. And God's covenant friendship with his people, it's unbreakable. There's a verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 41 and verse 8. And now Isaiah is speaking to the seed of Abraham, but the rebellious are going to be they're going to fall under the judgment of Almighty God. But what does God say about them? But thou Israel art my servant Jacob whom I have chosen. And how does he, he summarize it all? The seed of Abraham my friend. This is a friendship that lasts. Lasts all of time. Lasts all of eternity. We sang that in one of those lovely hymns. There are many other friends will forsake you. That's what Joseph Scriven discovered, our friend from Bonbridge. That's why he wrote that last verse of that lovely hymn, Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. And he found when he lost his money and his position and his prominence that his friends forsook him, or the ones he thought were his friends at least. But there's a friend that sticketh closer than any brother. And he'll be with us all the time. And when time is no more in eternity itself. Now if we look at it from the divine perspective. Let's look at it then secondly from the patriarch's perspective. This is an illustration that is very deliberately chosen here. Because James is writing to these Jews that are dispersed. The Jews of the dispersion. And in verse 21 he makes special mention. It says here of the works by which he was justified. Now some of you are going to say, but is it not by faith we're justified? How then can we say he was justified by works? But the word that is used here means he was demonstrated to be righteous before God. He was shown to be righteous before God. Not by his justification in Genesis 15, but by what he did on Mount Moriah. Now time is not going to permit us to go there but you can read Genesis chapter 22 you know that well-known story of how God said to Abraham to take his only son Isaac and he was to go up the mountain he was to lay him on the altar and he was to sacrifice him and this was the supreme test of his devotion and just as the young man was on the altar just as the <coughs> the knife was raised and the young man was about to be slain an angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven the second time and said by myself have I sworn saith the Lord for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son thine only son that in blessing I will bless thee and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice he was demonstrated to be righteous by what he did in Genesis chapter 22 now, if you read it carefully, Abraham's justification is recorded for us. We have to go there a little minute. Genesis chapter 15. Just turn back to Genesis 15 for a little minute or two. Verses 1 and 2. Ah, these are great verses here. Genesis 15, verse 1 and 2. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward 
Remember, this was after the great battle and he was rescuing his nephew Lot and the Lord came to him and said, all of this confederacy of nations are going to be against you, but I'll be your shield, I'll be your protection. And as you go out into the week that lies ahead, just know that God is your shield. God is your protection. He's watching over you. There might be a confederacy of, of enemies, spiritual enemies against you, but God is round about you. And we read, verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And then verse 6, that's the key. He believed in the Lord, and he counted, in, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed what God had told him and he didn't do anything other than just rest on the word of God that had been revealed to him and enabled by the Holy Spirit he looked down the, 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 the corridor of time to the promised seed Genesis 3.15 who would come by his descendants and he was justified he was made right before God he was made righteous before God on what he had learnt from the message of the Lord. The word counted in, in Genesis 15 and 6. It means to put to one account. To put to one's account. As a sinner he was bankrupt. But when he trusted God for mercy and pardon. <coughs> the Lord put his righteousness. His righteousness on Abraham's account. And that's a great biblical doctrine. The Holy Spirit takes that up in Romans chapter 4. And it's the illustration again of James chapter 2, Genesis chapter 15. Abraham, the, the justification of Abraham. And we read in Romans 4.23, It was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, the righteousness of God, if we believe on him, that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered for our offences and was raised again for our justification. On the cross of Calvary, our sin was imputed to Christ. And through Christ paying the debt for our sin, Christ's righteousness is now imputed, accredited to, charged to the accounts of the people of God. We have his righteousness because it is imputed to us. I want to ask you again this evening, as you look into your account, what's in it? Your spiritual account, what's in it? If it's only your own works, you're bankrupt. If it's only your own righteousness, you've got nothing. It doesn't matter how good, how nice, how kind you are. If you haven't got the righteousness of Christ, it means nothing. Imputed to you. Dear soul, let me ask you, where is the evidence in your life of faith? Where is it demonstrated? If you're truly saved and claim to be like Abraham, a friend of God, well then the evidence will be seen in that you have believed what God has said concerning his son and that a righteousness that is imputed to the sinner has been put to your account. What's in your spiritual account tonight? That's the key question. Thirdly, in closing, Let's examine this friendship as one then that's to be urgently pursued. 
James 4 and 4, the contrast tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Remember that word enmity is first introduced, Genesis 3 verse 15. And those, those who are friends with the world, the Bible tells us here, they are spiritual enemies of God. And that's a strong word, isn't it? To talk to people in church pews. To talk to people who know the gospel. And who know the things of God. In Romans 5 and 10 it says, For if <coughs> when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Enemies. Once we were enemies. But the, enemy, the enmity is dealt with and now through the death of Christ we're reconciled with God. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? We read in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now for enemies to be reconciled, what has to happen? Well, the enmity, uh, that word enmity just means hostility, the hatred, the animosity. It has to be taken away. Uh, and I rejoice that we have a great ambassador, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has taken away the enmity. And he has taken away the just condemnation of God's law. And you and I can be reconciled again with a thrice holy God through his death. Through his blood shedding and through his rising again from the dead. That's something that you need to urgently pursue. James 4 and 4. Uh, I was greatly struck that the friendship of the world is likened, is compared to spiritual adul ad adultery. When somebody breaks the marriage bond, the world oftentimes wins the hearts of men and women. And the affections of men and women. And God comes and he says son give me thine heart. And instead the heart is given to the things of the world. The flesh of the world. The, the, the power, the corruption of all that the world has to offer. And the world still comes and it offers all. It offers all that it might entice you away from God. I, I was reading in 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17. How the apostle said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and this is how it's defined. What's the world that is spoken about here? The lusts of the flesh. The lust of the eye. The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Rather than love the world, God wants your love. He wants your love. And he wants your heart and he wants your affection. When Paul first arrived at Corinth, we read his commentary on it was <coughs> praying, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, Verse 4 and 5, praying with us much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of ministering to the saints. But this they did not as we hoped, 
but first give their own selves to the Lord. First give their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now if you have not already done so this evening, this is how this friendship is forged. This friendship is forged by you in faith giving yourself to the Lord in your entirety. Not part of you, not just the Sunday part of you, but all of you giving your all to the Lord. And that friendship then needs to be maintained and cultivated and renewed. How is it done? Time doesn't allow us to go down it, but you can look James 4 verse 7. How do you renew this fellowship daily? You submit to God. You submit to God. Verse 7, you resist the devil. Verse 8, you draw near to God. Verse 8b and 9, this cleansing, this purifying, it, it's really emblematic of repentance. You're repenting of your sin. You're turning to God every day. You know, repentance is not just a one-off. Repentance is a daily experience. Forgive us our trespasses. We all need friends to get through the journey. <clears throat> a whole lot of people, you could get through the journey, you'd be better without their friendship. If only young people could learn that. If even some older people could learn that. Never mind the younger people. But you need one friend to get you to heaven. And that one friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that verse. I've often, I've preached on it many times. Matthew eleven nineteen, And no doubt we'll come to it again up ahead. Where they talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. They gossiped about him. They ridiculed him. And they said, he's a gluttonous man. He's, he's a wine bibber. He's a friend of publicans and sinners. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. He is the friend you need to get you into heaven. He's the friend you need when you come to die. We've all been those deathbed scenes and family, friends are gathered around the loved one. And the emotion is high and it is so tense and, and, and you're just waiting for every last breath and everyone's watching that dear loved one as, as passing out into eternity. And that loved one has to leave their friends and their family all behind. There's only one friend who can go with you. And there's only one friend who can take you over Jordan. And that's the friend of sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ. If I was tasked you leaving the service tonight. Is Christ your friend? <laughs> it's a very emotive question isn't it? It's a very personal question. Is Christ your friend? Could you answer like one of old did the bride in the Song of Solomon in the Song of Solomon 5.16 she was unable to say yes this is my beloved 37 times in the Song of Solomon that phrase is used this is my beloved but there's only one time this phrase is used this is my friend is it your friend tonight? He offers you his friendship. The condescension of Almighty God in the person of his son, he offers you his friendship. Don't spurn it. You're either the friend of God as Abraham was, James chapter 2 verse 23, 
Are you still in James 4 and verse 4? And remember, the friend of the world is the spiritual enemy of God. May the Lord really work in all of your hearts and lives tonight. And may he bring you to that place where you give your all. You give your heart, your all, yourselves to him. And know his abounding friendship and fellowship within your soul. Let's unite please in prayer as we conclude our service. As I often say, if, there, if there's one you'd like to talk to me, perhaps the Lord has spoken to you very personally, very individually in the meeting about your own need of having Christ as your friend and as your Lord and as your Saviour. And you, you couldn't answer that question going out. You couldn't say in, with, with assurance, yes, Christ is my friend. I know I'm a very poor friend to him, but Christ is my friend. He's my Saviour and my Lord. If you can't say it, seek him tonight and cast your all at his feet. And you'll find that he's a friend that hears the prayer.